This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you enjoyed our special show about the Oregon wrestling season that came out on Monday. If you missed it, go check it out after today's episode. But coming up on today's show, the Conor McGregor excuse tour has commenced. TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen is going down on Saturday. And I'll even respond to a comment from one of you guys before we get to that. 
Let's begin with my thoughts from Saturday after I got done watching an exciting night of fights. All right, let's recap a couple of things that happened over the weekend. First off, the return of Misha Tate. Now, before we get into what happened or how wonderful Misha looked, you, you have to back up because you can't give her her full compliment without understanding the story coming into this, all right? Let me take it from my perspective. I've known Misha forever. There's something called cadets. You can wrestle in a division called cadets. It's for 15 and 16-year-olds, but that's the first time I ever saw Misha. She was fourth in the cadet national. So I go back with Misha Ways. It seemed like she fought forever and then a little bit longer, achieved everything, including world championships, stuck around, retired. And I remember when she retired going, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you've been doing this forever. Sure, you're going to retire. And then there was like a tail of the tape that came up. It showed her age. It was the very first number. She was like 29 years young. I did not really, because she had achieved so much, and she had been doing it for so long. And I bring that to you only because her retirement was not retiring in or out of your prime. She wasn't into her prime or out of her prime yet. She had just done it a lot. And there's a lot of times in this sport when you can get ground down. You can train so hard, be so grueling, have so many opportunities, get on so many airplanes, go through so many camps, so many weigh-ins. You get ground down. And your best days are still in front of you, but you're tired. You're just tired and you need a break. That's what it appears happened with Misha. Because when she came back, she had been an ex These are just the things she's done while she was gone. And I believe it was five years off. But she went to a different country. She became an executive into the business world. She comes back. She gets married. She has not just one, but two kids. Oh, by the way, she decides she's going to return. Gets her body in shape. Enters the USADA pool. Goes through an entire process. I mean, there were so many things that happened where she should have had a lackluster performance. Now, she might win. She's very good. She might win, but she's not going to perform great. Can we agree on that, at least just historically speaking? Can we agree that we didn't have a huge expectation? Now, a couple of things very smart from Jump Street. First off, co-main event. For her to come back and jump into a five-round atmosphere would have been a lot to bite off. She slowed it down just a little bit. Dipped her little pinky toe into the water, smart. Comes out there with an opponent who was doing just the opposite. Her opponent was saying, hey, goodbye. Thank you all. And her opponent had quietly become the eldest member of the roster, right? Renee had, she was 44 years old, but had done it kind of quietly. Had a good record, nothing bad with it. Wasn't showing off, not cutting a bunch of promos. I only bring this to you because she was achieving a lot. She deserves a lot of credit. But she didn't necessarily go out there and demand it. So it was one of these things where Misha, ahead of time, a lot of things were done right and they were done smart and they were even done slowly, which you don't generally get to do at this level. But I have to commend her for doing it that way. Hold that thought because I'm going to steer that in another direction. The performance starts, the fight. Slow start in the first round. Was not ideal, wasn't perfect, wasn't everything she wanted. Okay. But she began to grow, and that snowball began to get stronger and stronger. And I would argue that some of the passes, some of the grappling aspects of this fight were better than before she left. Like, there was a time Misha was on her feet, and when she dropped down, she didn't drop to guard. She dropped into a pass, did a knee slide, rotated her hips. She was doing some stuff in grappling that was better than before she had left. So this whole ring rust business, why it might be true, and logically should be, as wonderful as she performed, 
if that was her, Rusty, if that was her not at her best, look, sky's the limit. And where I tie in taking things slow, there are people that are trying to push Misha right now into Misha versus Holly Holm part two. Fine. And we can do it. We just don't have to do it now. We can. I'm only suggesting for Misha, if she sees this, we don't have to do it next. Making a comeback is a big deal. Having a successful comeback, huge deal. Bask in the glow a little bit. Use this as a springboard. Up your training. Believe in what you're doing. Follow the process, but get in there another time. That should be the only goal for what's next. One more time. We don't need the beautiful name. We don't need to be the main event. We don't need a title fight. We can, but keep easing into it. It was a really wonderful performance. Almost shocking, in all fairness. It was almost shocking how good she looked and the improvements within the grappling. Now, let's fast forward because it's Islam. Nobody questions whether Islam is good. There are some what we call haters that will question, is he great? Does he belong in there with the Dan Hookers of the world, the Michael Chandlers, the Charles Oliveras, right? In all, in all fairness, that question said about many people, there's no insult if you question Islam or anybody else. Can Islam go with Gaethje? Like, these are fair questions. But for Islam to get an opportunity like this, and I'm talking about a main event spot, at times in the fight, he looked human. By example, I remember when he was taken down, right? He got pushed into the fence. He got his hips snagged. He got picked up and dumped. The way that Islam scrambled and came right out on top, I'm glad he got taken down. I'm glad he got taken down to see how he responded to it, which was incredible. You watch how these guys are grappling, by the way. It's very different. I've been a grappler my entire life. Wrestling, black belt, and jujitsu. Can I brag? Is that okay? But I've done some sambo. I played around with judo. I've done a lot of forms of grappling. What these guys are doing, Coach Nurmagomedov, and I'm talking about senior. Right now that goes to Khabib. I'm talking about Khabib's father. The way that he is training these guys in grappling with some of their controls, the way that they are passing and going to submissions. Islam even had a pass last night where he then flies into an arm bar. He missed it. It didn't work. But it was very similar to the arm bar that Khabib had done to Justin Gaethje. I'm only sharing with you because that's not jujitsu. That's not wrestling. That's not sambo. That's not catch. That's not judo. That's their own thing. These boys in Dagestan are playing a whole nother game. They have their own attacks. If you look at the offensive attacks that Khabib does up against the fence, that's a different game. That's not wrestling. That's not judo. That's not sambo. That's not catch. Khabib will credit it to sambo because that's respect. That's not. That's Dagestan. That's Nurmagomedov. That is very unique to these guys. And I love that I got to see that side of Islam. I love that somebody got to push him, got to put him in a vulnerable spot, even if it was for a second. So I don't question that he's good enough. What needs to happen for him to get that shot, okay? He's got to get attached to a big name. Now, that can happen. No problem. Tony Ferguson gave the blessing to Darush. By example, somebody else is going to extend these opportunities. They're going to extend that olive branch. Somebody's going to have to do it. And now that Islam's got this beautiful record, and now that Islam has proved to be a main event fighter, the only thing he could do next is to get a big fight. 
And he's going to have to go from a big fight into a title fight. This is just the process. I'm, not, I, I'm stating the obvious, right? Water's wet. I get it. But he's still going to need somebody to partner with him. Somebody's going to have to come along. I had a call, by the way. I'm talking to you guys. I'm at Submission Underground, okay, in case you recognize the set. I just got a phone call from Ali. And Ali said, I will give $100,000 to Tony Ferguson or RDA if they grapple Islam in Submission Underground, but they got to beat him. If they beat him, I, Ali, will personally bring and give $100,000. So I said, Ali, is this private? Do you want me to call these guys and try to line the matchup, or can I make this public? He said, you can make it public. Now, of course, they would also have my side, right? Just to show up, they're going to have something else. I'm only presenting for you, okay? And this isn't the way that I would do business. I'm not uh, to Tony Ferguson or RDA or putting them in somewhere corner. I'm actually trying to do something else right now, which is just there are some people that believe in Islam who want to see him get that belt, who are so confident, but it's something larger than the sport. It isn't about him being a world champion. It's about the tie-in to Khabib, to coach Nurmagomedov, rest his soul. That that's their belt. That's their belt, and they have the guy that should have the belt for their team. That's how they believe. But they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. They're willing to put their athlete in there against anybody. They're willing to do the heavy lifting in exchange to get the heavy reward. It's an interesting story. It's a compelling story. It's one that I think I'm more interested in today than I was prior to this match. Where is the story going to go and how is Islam going to get attached to one of these bigger names? Look, that's always a tough game. If you're a really hard fight that not a lot of people know and perception is reality, you see why guys try to stay away. It's the boxing model that nobody's ever found out a way to get around. That just isn't what they do in the UFC. The best fight, the best, the end. Islam is breaking into that field. Is he a Chandler? Is he a Gaethje? I got to throw Dan Hooker in there too. For my money, Hooker's as good of a 55-pounder as there is out there. So there's a lot of bodies. It looks like Kevin Lee has left the division. Looks like Kevin Lee's going to stay up at 170 right now. So the numbers start to get limited, but the way that this is going to unfold and where the chess pieces go, it looks like a lot is being put on RDA. RDA was officially called out. RDA's never turned down anybody for any reason. I can't imagine he does now unless it's to stick it to him, right? RDA's got an ego too. He might be a little upset at the way this was going on. And the only thing you get in there with me, a former world champion, is going to do is to help you just to stick it to him. RDA might tell him no. I don't predict that he does. I predict that we're going to see Islam versus RDA. I'm just sharing with you. There's pieces on the board that are moving. And there's a clear plan with a strategy that is blunt force. It is aggressive. It's very interesting if you see it. And I'm bringing it to your attention so you don't miss the show. So to fast forward my thoughts from Saturday to my thoughts of today, because for the first time ever, Islam Makhlchuk actually has someone calling him out. Islam's in an interesting spot. I look forward to seeing how he's going to play this out. I pass no judgment. I offer no advice. I'm going to sit back and just personally watch this. Look, Islam's story has been the same for a period of time, which is nobody wants to fight me. That's also accurate, by the way. That's not tough talk. He's having a hard time getting meaningful matches. He's having a hard time getting a match at all. 
he's having a hard time breaking into some of the more well-known guys. So now that Islam, with his beautiful record, his great skill set, is now a main event fighter, it puts him in a little bit different category. But Islam's stance is the same, which is nobody will fight me. Nobody will give me this chance. And then he called out a whole laundry list full of guys. Now, where I'm telling you that I'm going to find this interesting to see how he plays this is Islam now got answered. He got called out. He got called out by Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker was the number five ranked guy in the world. Dan Hooker lost to Michael Chandler, who became the number one contender, but I don't believe previously had a ranking. So I don't know what Hooker is currently ranked today. I know he was ranked number five and lost to a number one contender, and it could have moved him. I don't know that it makes a damn bit of difference. Hooker's a main event fighter who everybody knows, and Hooker has now called out Islam. Islam's going to have to fight Hooker, or, or he's going to have to have a damn good reason why not, of which is what I'm speaking to that I'm going to enjoy. He's not going to be able to do the, I don't want to fight you, you don't matter, you're not high enough, to the guy that used to be ranked number five and has headlined a whole bunch of shows. That argument's not going to work. He's not going to be able to come out with any kind of excuse and then still get credibility when he's over there saying it, right? What's good for the, it's got to go both ways. And you got to have these points in your career where you're trying to climb and you're trying to get attention. But if you make your argument that I will fight anybody at any time and nobody will fight me and then you get called out, if it's not the fight you want, let's say. And I don't think that, that Islam would have a problem with Hooker. And the only reason I'm guessing it's not a fight that Islam wanted is because Islam called out four different guys and Hooker wasn't one of them. I could have this all wrong and Islam simply goes, okay, great, then I'm fighting Hooker. Let's do it, sign the paperwork, see you in September. Maybe. I'll be interested in that. My only statement is that I will be interested in how this plays out. That's one option. Might happen, nothing to see here. But he might not. He might have something going with RDA, who he appears to really want to fight. He might have something going with Michael Chandler, who I personally don't believe would turn down that fight. But it hasn't been said yes to yet. He got called out straight up, first time ever. First time anybody's ever called him out. I haven't seen him respond yet. He's going to have to. He's going to have to, and if it's a fight that he doesn't want to do, he's going to have to respond with, I'm not going to fight you, and then why? Which will be a whole bunch of insults, right? I mean, that's just fighting one-on-one. One. Oh, you're not worth my time. You're not good enough to get in there, right? We've all heard them. They're all boring, but it's like music. There's only so many notes. So if he turns Hooker down, he's going to have to offer a reason. If he offers that reason, which are any of the reasons that he stated have been holding him back, it's going to make it hard for anybody to get it on the bandwagon. Right? Islam's argument of, I'm really good, I work really hard, and I just can't get a shot, man. Would somebody help me? That works. That's beautiful. Everybody in the world can relate to that. Because everybody's felt that way. Everybody's felt like they were doing something and not being recognized for their work. So it's a really great spot. But if he re responds to Hooker and turns him down for any reason, he's not going to be able to continue to make that argument. At least not successfully. I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to play out. I have no judgment on this. I'm making a simple statement. I'm bringing to your attention. Islam Makhlchev has now been called out. At the time that I'm recording this, Islam Makhlchev has not accepted that challenge. So he's going to have to either accept the challenge or he's going to have to reject the challenge. But once you start turning fights down, you then turn on the people that you have brought along with you while you continue to play like the wounded duck 
I'm the wounded duck. I can't get an opportunity. People aren't giving me my fair shake. People are scared of me. It puts you in a unique position. Is there a way to navigate it? Sure. Sure there is. I know the answer. But I don't think Islam does. I look forward to seeing how he plays this. So that's enough from last weekend. And coming up next, I'll tell you what Dana White just said about Conor McGregor's long-term health. And I'll explain why you all should care about it. But before that, here's a word about one of our sponsors, Movement. There is really nothing like wearing a nice timepiece on your wrist. The look of your watch can speak louder than words. Are you a nicely put together, classy guy or gal? Or are you a sci-fi nerd who lives on your mom's couch? The watch can say it all. MVMT, Movement, created a beautiful line of quality, minimalist timepieces that can help you to communicate the former. I order the black top astral blue piece. I wish I could show you guys, but it has a nice stainless steel wristband with a sleek navy blue face. I'm in a t-shirt and jeans most days, and this watch adds a flair of style to class my daily look without breaking the bank. MVMT has a great selection of on-trend, fair-priced watches. They offer a two-year guarantee for all of their timepieces and free shipping. This week, they are celebrating their eighth birthday, so don't miss MVMT's biggest sale of the year. Go to mvmt.com slash chael. Enjoy your 28% off. That's 28% off site-wide at mvmt.com slash chael. Join the movement. An MMA contest comes down to four things. Agreed upon time in an agreed upon weight class between the agreed upon athletes under the unified rules. It's those four things. However that contest plays out, if those four things stayed intact, the match is fair. The match is over. And you all walk away. But for some reason, Poirier versus McGregor is not playing out that way. And it's very interesting to me. I don't mind the excuse tour. It's very common. I'm not sure why we're giving Connor a hard time for all of a sudden joining the tour. The tour is much bigger than him and has been around much longer and will be here long after him. It's just unusual. It's not the way that Connor's done things before. So then we are to be irritated that he will not just accept defeat. Why would a fighter ever just accept defeat? Have you ever found yourself saying those words, Connor should just admit it? Why? Why would he ever admit it? Why would he ever accept it? Particularly if he's looking for a rematch. Right? The moment one fight ends, the marketing for the next fight begins. If he's doing that, then he's doing what he should. But to see people looking at it and, do it and digging into it. I mean, I'm hearing about the stress fractures. Heard about that from Connor. It wasn't a check kick. It was a this kick. And I didn't get my ass kicked for this reason. I got it. The, the doctor determined I got my ass kicked. Like, none of it matters as long as those four things stayed intact. Agreed upon time. Was it at the time that we said? Did it go early? Did it go late? It didn't. It went on the contraction time. Okay. Was the integrity of the weigh-in held up? Because we agreed on a specific weight class. Did everybody make weight? They did. For sure? 
Okay, great. We can't look at that one. Was it the right guys? Was Connor, in fact, fighting Dustin Poirier, or was that a body double, and vice versa? No, Chael, that's crazy. Of course it was the right guys. Okay, great. Did it happen under the unified rules? Was the integrity of the rules questioned or misimplied? Unless you can find any way to interrupt one of those four things, then a mixed martial arts contest happened. That's it. And I'm watching people digging into. I heard something today about Connor wanted to, to tape his ankles. Or he didn't tape them or he wanted to. That's not one of the four. I heard talk today that Connor and something to do with the stress factors as it was relayed to the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Is a stress fracture one of those four? I heard something about degenerative arthritis on behalf of Connor. Something he's been dealing with sounds very tough. Hope he makes it through. Is it one of those four? Did the time, the weight, the participant, or the unified rules, was any piece of that, any of the integrity of those four elements interrupted? Was it compromised? Because unless we're arguing about one of those four, a mixed martial arts contest happened. That's it. Which gets concluded by the recognition of a winner. Which by default tells us who the loser was. And if you find yourself, I'm doing this to help you, if you find yourself engaging in a conversation that has anything to do with the fight the unfairness of the fight, the way the fight could have played out differently, why the fight should happen again, why we should not respect the result, why we should not acknowledge Poirier, why we should think Connor's a jerk. If anything that you're discussing is outside the realm of the agreed-upon time, the weight class, the participants, and the unified rules, you're wasting your breath. I would not dispute any of those things. If somebody told me they were hurt coming into a fight, I would never tell them you're lying or you're making an excuse. I would be stunned if somebody came to me and was telling me with sincerity that they felt great. I want to know anything about that myself. I have never gone into a fight feeling great. I started competing when I was nine years old. I don't remember going to school feeling great. I don't remember having a day off or going on a vacation feeling great. I don't know what it would feel like to feel great. I don't know. It would be a very bizarre feeling. If I didn't have an ouch or an owie or a soreness, I would go back and grab a barbell and do it a few more times. I know I had a little bit left. I'm just personalizing it. I don't know anything about feeling great. I don't know anything about a stress fracture or the, the this or the taping of the that. Were these four things followed? Did we fight on the day we said at the weight class we agreed to? Was it, the, was it the right participants? And did we do it under the unified rules? If I can't plug a hole in one of those, I got to accept it. And if I can find anybody out there who allows me to make an excuse or an argument for my defeat while not addressing one of the four ingredients, perfect. Good for me. I've now found a sucker. I will likely keep that person around or put them in a database. I will likely try to sell them oceanfront property in Arizona someday should I decide any comes for sale. I mean, right, it's one of those things. Nobody's doing anything wrong here in terms of Connor or Poirier. Poirier's got every right to be on a victory lap, which for some reason he's not taking. Apparently he's too humble to take it. Connor's got every right 
to be on an excuse-making tour to grab some kind of attention for a potential fourth fight, of which is going to be one of the harder sells in the history of sport, at least from a competitive architecture standpoint. And the fans who are falling for it, go right ahead. But if you're an objective and a reasonable person and you find yourself falling for it, or you would even like to, you would like to add support to this, go ahead. But make sure it falls into one of the four ingredients, which are the only four ingredients that constitute a fight. So let's stay in the world of Conor McGregor and address a very good point that was brought up by one of you. And by the way, if you ever got a question for me or an argument you'd like to make, feel free to send a video my way. We might get you on the show like this young man. Hey, bad guy, you got to talk to me. We're talking about how Conor McGregor got dominated, right? Round one, 10-8 round, all three judges. Everybody says, okay, if the fight went on, it doesn't matter. Bisping's criticized Kavanaugh. Look, don't be delusional. Connor wouldn't have won if the fight continued. And I don't necessarily disagree with that 100%. But how are we going to sit here and say that when the current sitting lightweight champion of the world is the champion after losing the first round of the championship fight? 10-8. Go check the scorecards for Chandler Oliveira. We know Charlie Olives is the champion now, but he got dominated in round one, and two out of the three judges gave Chandler a 10-8 before Oliveira went on to win the belt. How can we not give McGregor the same benefit of the doubt here that he might have had a chance to win the fight? Thanks, Trail. Hoisted by my own baton. That is an interesting point by you. It really is an interesting point. Now, the Charlie Oliveira fight versus Chandler was significantly different in all fairness. If we're only going to turn to the 10-8 as our reasoning, you got legs to your argument, right? You have legs there. You're using some wordplay, but it's still well done. I'm going to give you full credit. That was a different fight. If you'll recall, Oliveira had knocked Chandler down, had sworn him made the fight eligible for TKO, which is what makes it eligible for a 10-8, but Chandler came back. Do you remember that round? Chandler had his own moments within that fight. Connor just didn't have any. He just didn't. I'm not crazy about continuing to speak about this fight. I was just on ESPN, doing the Chael Sonnen show, by the way. Would appreciate if you all gave that a watch over on Plus, but I want to tell you this. I'm finding myself, every time I talk about this fight, putting Connor down. I just don't like that. I don't like to kick a guy when he's down. I like to offer him a hand up. If I want to knock him down later, it's a different story, but not once he's already down. No part of me is looking to do that, and I hope that my words aren't coming out that way. There's also no other way for me to talk about and reflect on that fight and find a positive outlook. It was a beating. It was a very bad beating. There was nothing that went great for Connor. Not to mention the IQ. I mean, I really got to turn to that, and I feel that I'm the only one that's talking about that. To pull a guillotine on Dustin Poirier, right? With high risk comes high reward. But to pull a guillotine up against the fence, there was simply no chance of that working. And he never recovered from that position. So I got to give him a knock. I don't, I don't fault him for trying to win the fight and trying to finish it. You got to go do those things. You got to take those risks. But to come to that position, not realize that it was lost, as soon as Dustin cleared the legs, instantly get to an underhook and use that wall to get yourself to her feet, it's just not what Connor would have done. 
in any other fight. So there was some slipping there, not just with the hands, not just with the feet, not just with the lack of offense from the bottom or the inability to stand up, but also with the IQ that puts you in that position to start with. Now, that doesn't totally pertain to what you're asking. You're asking, how can we count Connor out just because it was a 10-8? We can't. We simply can't. I also don't know that I've heard that argument made. I know that I certainly haven't made it. I have made one argument, which is for the fight that did take place, it was a domination, it was a beating. To prove my thesis that it was a dominant beating is where I bring in the 10-8 rounds. It wasn't three 10-8s, by the way. It was two. Sal D'Amato had it 10-9. So I only bring that to you because for what did take place under the unified rules, the fighter in the corner did not stop it. The referee considered but did not, and a higher power stepped in. That's not great. And Connor really wanted to be Dr. Stoppage. He thought that was a good reason. That was a good reason to explain away a defeat. Well, the doctor stopped it as though that's brushing it off. I'm correcting that. That has never been told accurately. And boxing's guilty too. When a doctor has to step in, think about it in boxing, right? You've seen guys get cuts. You've seen where it's so bad or his eyes closed. I mean, some really tough stuff where the referee stops it, brings the doctor in. Everybody's breathing. Everybody's getting rest. Everybody's getting recovery time. And the doctor waves it off. The ref should have made that call. In all fairness, that's the way the story should be told. The doctor has to come in. The ref should have made the call. The doctor is, is now trumping the ref. He has a higher degree. He has a higher recognition within the commission standing, and he is making a call that the ref should have made, which quickly makes you wonder, why did the fighter not make it? Okay, great, pat on the back. He's a tough guy, but why did the corner not make it? I think that those are fair questions. That's not the hill I'm looking to die on. I understand how these things happen. I understand the way that I'm saying it versus a reality of a doctor having to come in and give a thing a look in the issue of safety. I, I understand there's some room here. It's a fire point by you, though. I do remember the Oliveira-Chandler fight having its moments. More for Oliveira, but Chandler... Coming back, you know, Chandler's an interesting one, too. Now that we, you, you want to talk about Chandler, what is Chandler going to do next? I am very curious what he's going to do. Chandler, in my opinion, has a pretty hot hand. Nobody has come into the UFC ever better than Chandler did. In fact, it would go in this order. Chandler, number one debut. Number two, Gaethje. Do you remember Gaethje's debut against Michael Johnson? He's giving the bird, he's knocking him down, he's putting pressure on him, he's yelling at him, he's having fun, he's being a showman, and he beats Michael Johnson, which is a hard thing to do. Gaethje parlayed one time in the octagon to being a coach on The Ultimate Fighter. Being a coach on The Ultimate Fighter is the greatest vehicle, marketing-wise, that the industry knows. It is the greatest vehicle, marketing-wise, that the industry has ever known. So I only bring that, what, what a great job Gaethje did. And if I'm putting Chandler in front of him, it tells you how good Chandler did. Now Chandler goes out, he does the Fight Island business, where he's willing to take on Gaethje or Khabib on a moment's notice. That's some courage right there. Comes in, does the hooker business, goes right into a world title fight, had his spots. That was a great fight. Good job for Oliveira. I don't dispute how that went. But if you tell the story that Oliveira ran through Chandler, that also did not happen. That was a great fun 
match, and they both had their spots, and Chandler was this close to the referee calling it a TKO in his favor. That's the second round. How does what we saw there tie into did Connor have a chance? Sure. Sure, I wouldn't dismiss a guy. I think that now we're, we're talking about talking just for the sake of it. There's nothing within Connor's history or his career that says he does better in the second round than he does in the first. None, not one match. But he has the right to try, right? 10-8 round by the judges. I can sit here and say, well, the referee should have stopped there. Connor should have tapped or the corner should have stopped. Saved by the bell. Who gives a goddamn? They didn't. And he lives to fight another day, which would be the next round if that leg hadn't happened. But that isn't how it was called. That's not what the unified rules say. Many people are doing that for Nate Diaz as well. Saying, well, if he would have just had 20 more seconds, he would have stopped Leon. That's not the way the game is played. We can do those things all the time. It's not the way the game is played. Before I head out for the day, I want to talk about a fight that's going down Saturday, and I absolutely can't wait. Oh, yes, finally, Dillashaw versus Sandhagen. We're days away, right? But I got to tell you, when this fight got announced, like there's some fights I've gotten so so pumped for. I've texted Sean Sh thank yous before, right? Only three or four times, but I hit where a fight pops off the page. I'm like, oh, man, thank you. This is a thank you. This is one of them. First off, great news to see. Dillashaw back. But this fight's got a few things on it you guys don't know about, okay? I did a vacation. And I'm not vacation guy. I travel a lot with work or things like this, and that kind of feels like a trip. You know, you're in a hotel and you're using somebody else's towels. But it feels like a vacation. I don't do a lot of vacations. So, in fact, this might be the first one that I've been on in my adult life. Took my wife, kids, go out to San Diego. And I'm done. I'm not going to work. There's no anything. ESPN gave me the time off. I'm going to put my phone down at a view of the ocean. I mean, everything's great, right? I'm on vacation. You guys understand. Well, I get a phone call. I get a phone call from Daryl Christian. Daryl Christian is the coach of, amongst others, TJ Dillashaw. Turns out where I'm staying is 20 minutes from the gym TJ trains at. TJ's going to get a workout in, and I got invited. Now, this gym is a little bit of a who's who, right? Who likes to name drop more than me? But you got Juan Archuleta in there. Brian Ortega's in there. Rampage is in there. Tough gym. And I get invited to this private workout. I got to go. Tell my wife. My wife understands. She's like, you got to go. You got to see that. So I go see it. And I even brought a camera with me. My partner, Ryan, came in there. And we filmed this workout. You can find it on my YouTube page if you're interested. But, but... I've been a TJ fan and a believer for a meaningful period of time, right? I know he's one of the best to have ever done it. Many say he is the best bantamweight to have ever done it. He skirted the rules, which, you know, gains favor with me, right? He's got something that I look for, quality that I look for in a person. He's a little bit shady. He's tough. I went and saw this workout. I learned things about TJ I didn't know. TJ's mean. I did not know that. He's a handsome guy. Every time you see him, he stops smoking. He's got a nice smile and a handshake for you. I didn't know he was mean. I didn't know how competitive he was. I knew he was competitive in the octagon. So did you guys. I don't give a damn if they're climbing ropes. I don't care if they're running sprints down and back. I don't care if it's water break. Who can get it and be back on the mat first? He is competing for everything at all times. He's talking. He's chirpy. He's TJ's mean. I might call him a dick. 
but I was a guest in the room. I don't feel it would be appropriate for me to see a workout and then come out and call him something bad. I really enjoyed this, but I also saw stuff from TJ Dillashaw. His transitions, his strikings into his takedowns. Okay, this is one piece. I told you there's a few pieces to the story, but there's another piece, okay? Can't tell you my source, but this is true. Guaranteed it's true. Sandhagen and Dillashaw were training partners. They were in Colorado. They were in the room together. Coach Whitman was running the workout, but they were in the room together. And they sparred. Now, I know how that went. Can't say. I will tell you this. It was so one-sided that the coach separated them. I believe it was Coach Whitman's room. If I'm wrong, it was Coach Ludwig. It was so one-sided that Coach Ludwig stopped the re- separated them. You don't go with him again. You don't go with him again. So these guys have a past and they have a history. And I will tell you, and again, I got to leave the name out of it. I got to. There's rules. I was contacted by one side. I was trying to get this fight going. I loved it, right? I was late to the Sand Hagen bandwagon. Helwani was telling me all the time, ah, you stop it, Ariel. You know, stop it all. Pretty soon, he's 10-0, then he's 11-0, then he's 12-0. I was late. I got con- I was talking about this fight. I was trying to get this fight together. This is before it was signed. I get contacted from one of these two sides that says, Chael, please stop. That's the one fight we don't want. So, what do I make of that? I mean, what do you make of that? These guys know. Two guys don't have to fight. You can put 50 guys in a room for an hour, have them work out. I'll watch the workout, and when it's done, I'll tell you who the baddest dude in the room is. And I'll tell you who the second baddest and the third baddest is. And by the way, so will they. 100%. They don't have to go with each other, touch each other. They could be doing their own thing. They will see and hear everything. Everybody will know what the pecking order is. So these guys, if you follow that theory, which is true... No. And one of them's team contacted me, go any direction you want except this one. It's an interesting match. And I will tell you, when I first heard about this, I thought this is pretty obvious what's going to happen. And it will be no skin off Sandhagen. He's taking on a future Hall of Famer. He's taking on a former world champion. He's taking on a guy that was this close to champ champ. I mean, at least had the opportunity, right? TJ has returned to a division to reclaim a championship that he never lost, which I feel should be his narrative. I feel TJ should say that in every interview that he does this week. I am back to reclaim the championship that I never lost. He needs to remind people. He did not get beat at 135 pounds. He lost that paperwork, right? USADA and the test. But when he lost to Henry, don't forget, that was at 125. I only remind you because it's a great line. It's a great line. And as good as Sandhagen is on his feet, Dillashaw's awesome on his feet and has the added element of the wrestling, which the only time we've ever seen Sandhagen look a fool was against current champion Aljamain Sterling when Sterling took him down, took his back, choked him out, and went home in 40 seconds. I don't say that to tease Sandhagen. Sandhagen later did an interview and talked about his wrestling and said in my quote, my, as you all know, my wrestling sucks. Now, Sandhagen doesn't usually get tested in that regard. He is so long and he's so good at understanding range. Range is one of these terms that announcers love to throw out there. 
Well, you know, if he can get inside, if he can stay on the outside, if he can keep at the end of the punches, it, they're words that you use. It's very rare that you meet a fighter who actually understands how to use range. Tommy Hearns comes to mind. Hangman comes to mind, right? Dan. John Jones comes to mind. But I got to throw Sandhagen in there, too. Sandhagen doesn't have to wrestle a lot. If he thinks he sucks at wrestling, I'll use his own words. He sucks at wrestling. He doesn't have to wrestle a lot because he understands range and he understands how to keep it. He understands how effective a knee up the middle and an elbow down the pike can be at keeping a wrestler at bay. So if that's true, if he's so damn good at range, and if TJ can't get inside and TJ can't implement wrestling, I guess we got a kickboxing fight between two very skilled and talented kickboxers. But what if it's not true? What if TJ does find a way to get in? And TJ's got five rounds to do it. I mean, it's a very compelling matchup. In many ways, why I don't know who's going to win, and I don't feel like cursing one of them right now, right? <laughs> Putting the jail curse on them. I will tell you this. There's no part of me that sees this as a close fight. If TJ gets him down, TJ is likely to maul him. But if he doesn't, and Sandhagen keeps him at range and starts getting those knees in, starts hurting TJ, right? Sandhagen doesn't just pick you apart. He hurts you. He's a skinny guy with tremendous power. Anderson Silva was the same way. He wasn't Mr. Muscle. He's not the guy in the gym that's going to be putting up plates. But boy, he understood timing. He understood precision. He understood how to turn things over. He understood hips and digging in and turning your toe. Just sharing with you. So this fight comes, and, I, and I've been looking forward to it. And we already missed it once, right? Don't forget that. This fight was booked like two months ago. TJ got a cut and trained him. Mean, we've, we've waited for this fight. We've been waiting for the return of Dillashaw. If there's any time to kick TJ's ass, I have to think it's now. Guy's been out for a minute. I got to think now's the time to get him. Interesting fight. I'm glad it's here. Outcome to be determined. But I will predict for you, we do not have a back and forth fight. One of these guys is going to impose his will, and they're going to do it in dominant fashion. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. A big thanks to all of you who've been leaving reviews over on Apple Podcasts. We've been reading all of them, and I especially love the one from Buck Blue, who says this is a top five podcast. Well, thank you, Buck. I will be back with much more of this top five podcast on Friday. But until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.